Hey there, you're welcome to Founders Connect, a show where I have conversations with amazing entrepreneurs and operators in Africa. This is the right show for you to be listening to if you love behind the scenes stories about people, their careers, and not your businesses. My name is Pisitimi, and I'm very, very, very delighted to be your host. You can follow this conversation on social media, hashtag Founders Connect. You can watch the video of each episode on my YouTube channel at PCTME or just search for Founders Connect on YouTube to find the playlist. Also, please share this podcast, subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, leave a rating, and you know, share it, hashtag Founders Connect. Enjoy the episode. And for this video, we're having a conversation with the very famous... Hmm very much loved Mo. Um, she's the founder of Vazilega and I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. Just knowing the Mo behind the Twitter account that we all know, right? And just really finding what really drives her and how she's building an amazing company, like just focusing on the legal aspect of things in the ecosystem where everybody's building fintech and every other thing. So make sure you stay and watch this video to the end. I'm pretty sure you will stay by yourself, but also do it because I'm begging you. And you should like and subscribe and comment and do all of that stuff to make me happy. All right. So I'll see you guys at the end of the video. Let's let's get into it. Hi Mo. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. How are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm finally in this seat, you know. See, finally. See when, when we when we decided, <laughs> I was like, Mo is doing this and everybody was jumping, like, yes. After this we can retire. Oh, we're right. Like, we're not doing it again, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm really excited to I mean I'm a big fan, you know, but I'm really excited. I mean, likewise, to... you know that. So. Jesus, <laughs> <stop> <laughs> but I really want to hear your story for the mm. first time. I don't think I know as much as I would like to, and I think yeah. everybody as well would be looking forward to this here. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start from the background. Yeah. Tell me about your childhood, your family, mm. anything you want to share, everything you want to share, just yeah. growing up, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Um, I had a very interesting childhood because uh, there's something. Not many people know, but I have um, ten siblings, ten. and and I'm the I'm number ten of ten. <laughs> I learned how to ride a bike as an adult because I was so young when my siblings were growing up because they didn't they just didn't play with me, right? So it was just like, oh, who's this tiny girl in the house? She's our sister, no problem. But they loved me and I loved them. My siblings and I are still very close. Um, we we talk every day. We have a WhatsApp group and all of that. But growing up, I was kind of it was kind of like isolating in a way just because of the age difference, right? So, what's um, the age difference between you and your immediate senior person? Um, the immediate person is four years between us. Um, but before uh, after him, then there's eight years between my sister and I. And the person who's immediate me is the guy. He doesn't really. He's just like yeah, my younger sister. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But my sisters, you know, and um, it got to a point where I think it was when I when I finally turned maybe about 15. That's when my sister started saying, ah, that's true. We have a teenager in this house. Okay, no problem. Let's see. Where are your clothes? Let's share. You know, and that's when I started becoming close to my sisters. But what that meant was that growing up, I kind of like had to figure stuff out by myself. Mm. So it was like, I'll come back from school and there'll be things around the house where I was like, okay, just figure out how to make yourself comfortable. And I think that's kind of like really informed how I have developed as an adult. Um, some parts of it is not so good, but I, I think for most of it, it's, it's been great. I'm very independent. And um, when, when I want to do stuff, I, I can, you know, basically just retreat, introspect and I'll say, okay, is this what I want to do before I do it? Um, so that's kind of like how it works. Um, I've also, I also grew up in a polygamous home, which mm-hmm. is also something that not a lot of people know. Um, so I grew up with three mothers. 
what that meant was also I didn't even know who my real mom was until mm. um, much later. And it wasn't in a bad way. It was just because the house was just so together that it was like, oh, okay, their mother's in the house and their children in the house. You know, that's kind of like how it was. That's really um, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I have a very different experience of polygamy. Um, mine was super happy. I, I wouldn't have had it any other way, right? Like, in fact, I used to look at people, I'm like, oh my God, you have only one mother, wow. I have three, <laughs> wow. Um, but I, I did enjoy growing up. Um, the only thing that was, I guess, maybe just different, just like I mentioned, was I, I kind of like grew up and um, mostly trained myself, I think, mm. um, yeah. Do you have a fondest memory as a child? Ah, my fondest memory is um, going swimming. So uh, my mom used to own she used to own a barbing salon called Cinderella Goldfingers. Oh my God. I think about that name and I'm like, why? <laughs> and then it was somewhere in GRA, Kedger. And it was in this um, country club where um, she later said, changed the name to something worse. Look nice. I'm like, we should have left Cinderella Goldfinger. This look nice. What are you saying? So I tell people, I'm, I'm going to the salon. Where is it? I'm like, look, look nice. nice. And they're like, what? Anyways. So, uh, so she, basically, we would go after school, we'll go um, to the country club and then, you know, take swimming lessons. I started swimming lessons when I was about four or five, so pretty early. Just to swim? Yes, competitively, actually. That's another thing that people don't know. So I swam competitively until secondary school, like represent, re representing Lagos State Government and all of that. Um, so my fondest memory, honestly, was memory was really just around after school going to the salon to say hello to my mom and then just going for swimming lessons because once i enter the water that's it and it's still the same thing up till now people who follow my travel pictures this if there's an ocean i'm going to jump into it because <laughs> it's kind of like my happy place just mm -hmm. going and I, I scuba dive as well and it's for the same reason so i swim underwater and i just go and i just forget the world even exists that's and that's a beautiful place to be underwater yeah, is brilliant it's, it's, yeah it's yeah. pretty cool so yeah that's my fondest memory amazing where did you grow up in lagos i did i grew up in lagos yeah. all true all true um yeah i i left lagos for the first time when I was going to law school. Mm. Um, it, so I went to law school in Abuja and that was the first time I lived out of Lagos. But after law school, I moved to Ashun State because that's where I had my NYC. And then since then I've lived in so many places. So many other places. <laughs> <laughs> we come there. So tell yeah. me about school and getting to the point where you decided that you want to study law. Hmm. I think it was all that, this child talks a lot. Just be a lawyer. <laughs> I don't think that story is different for a lot of people. Um, but I think part of it, so I was very close to my dad. He's late now. Um, and my dad wanted to, he was just, he was a very cerebral person. He was always reading. He didn't study law, but he was a fan of, you know, just reading law books. I remember he used to have like, stacks and stacks of like law of contracts very big books um from his uni days from the uk and we would just sit down and just talk shop right like he was an insurance um guy and we'll just talk about all these things and i'm like i mean when i think about it i was i was 12 having conversations with my father about mm. like insurance law I, there was no reason why i should so it was kind of like um so one day he was just talking to me about it and he was like hey i think you should study law and i was like well true people have been saying it that i should probably be a lawyer um, and um, at the time I was in science class, but I was like, okay, I'll just switch to, to the arts because I actually even preferred those um, subjects. And that was it. And also when you are in like the social sciences or arts, you know, at least at the time where I went, at the time when I went to school, um, it was, it's usually like, oh, you should do law or something. Yeah. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think there was anything else on the table. Um, but yeah, but at, at the end of the day, I'm really grateful that I, that I studied law. Why? It kind of... It gave me my best friends, which is like, mm. which is which is what you probably not uh, expect it's to like, hear. Yeah. 
But in Nigeria, as a lot of people know, you spend a lot of time in school. And I went to one school that has a lot of strike. And law school, <laughs> <laughs> and law school is law school, law school in uni is five years. And then you now go to law school, which is another one year, which is six years. I mean, I'd miss everything that happened. I just, I was just grateful that I got to spend six years with some of the people that I consider that I love the most in life, right? Mm. Like, so, I mean, they, that's, that's one thing that school actually really gave to me. And, you know, those are people, those are women I still talk to every day today. Um, but yeah, if not because of studying law in this, in this place where we're just confused, we'll never, our paths would never have crossed. So I think that's one of the things. Um, and I think the second thing is, um, I was talking to somebody um, today who's also studying law, um, but in her um, third year or fourth year. And I said, one of the things that law gives you is that it gives you such a broad landscape for you to mm. build anything on top, on top of that. I walk into any room and I see anything and I'm like, I can't do it, right? Mm. Because you read so many books that one of the things that my friend, my, my best friend who's also a lawyer says is that if it's in English, I'll read it and I'll know understand? it. So right. she, she's done, she has moved her career from just being a lawyer to being like a software engineer. And she always says that if the instructions are in English, I can learn it. And I think that's sort of like the attitude that law gives you because there's so many complex material that you have to distill in such a short period of time for you to pass any sort of examination. And that sort of training, I think it's very, very um, important for other areas of life as well. That makes sense. So outside the friends that you met, and just learning how to read and understand yeah. many things. Is there anything from law school or the five years of studying law in uni that still like sticks with you today? Mm. I didn't spend a lot of time in uni. That's the problem because I was. <laughs> I mean, for me, I, uh, I I got very interested in the outside world very quickly. So I would come to uni just enough to you know to pass and have exams and things like that. Um, so. I don't, from my school, I don't think so. Um, which is probably not a good thing, but. It was totally okay. But yeah, but, but, but I think, um, yeah, so I, I you know, not, not really. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Let's move on to the next question. Okay. So tell me about finishing law school and then starting your law career. What was that early stages of, mm. you know, building your career as a lawyer like? Okay. Um, so when I, when I left school, I thought I was just going to going to business and it was so funny because people were like oh so what are you going to do with your life after school i'm like oh i'll just go into business but i had no idea what business like start your own business i had no idea i just knew it was business but so mm. what usually happened was that in uni while i was in uni i used to do a lot of stuff i used to sell stuff from the boat of my from you know from the trunk of my car i would write business proposals for people and they'll pay me a fee for it so i was kind of like you know always just doing stuff you know that kind of thing and i just thought that when i left school i would just continue in fact i started a company i think it was called the social media place at the time i was done with school um the you know social media was just coming up at the time and i was like oh i can help businesses get on social media so i spoke to a friend of mine and we started doing something around that um but also at the same time um i started applying to law firms and that's mm. another i think that's a part of my story that i want to i want to really just talk about a little bit when i applied when i started applying to law firms in nigeria and it makes me super emotional i applied to 35 law firms and i did not get any one like not even one i got one interview and then i remember i went to Ikui, and then the guy said to me and this is me i mean i, I finished the two one so it's not safe you yeah know, it's just like there was there were just no jobs so i um i went to Ikui, and this guy interviewed my friend and i and um we had spent 45 minutes with one test where this guy brought like sat questions for us and all of that and i mean 
when we finished, the guy was like, oh, you guys really passed this test, so I'm going to offer you 40,000 Naira. My friend looked at me. I looked at her. I was like, this is not, this is not going to happen. And you know, the funny thing is, I remember that at this time, it was during full scarcity. So that day, and my friend is very, she's one of those people where she's just like, oh, I keep calling her, let me just call her name, Linda. So she's one of those people where she's like, let's get things done, let's get it done. So we had like a whole list of mm -hmm. all the firms we wanted to go to. It was full scarcity. I remember that we were on Todd Mainland, which was probably very risky. We took a bike, it was raining. We're going from law firms to law firms to drop fiscal applications at that time. That was the thing. <laughs> All of you that are doing email, dear sir, <laughs> I want to apply. They don't know anything. <laughs> oh, we went, so, you know, and that's it. And I think that um, it, it's probably a memory I, I, I try to suppress because it's a very painful memory. Mm. But also, I, you know, I think that is also something that is important for, um, for me to share because when people see my career now, they're like, oh, you know, it's always been easy, but it wasn't. Imagine getting, you know, 30-something rejections in the space of one in a space of one week or less than that, I just couldn't. That's a lot. Yeah. In fact, I'm on a WhatsApp group with some, some, some guy who's a partner at a law firm in Lagos. And I was just even joking with him. He was like, oh, let's let, come to my office. Let's have a meeting. And I was like, ah, your office. I remember. I came for an interview. You guys didn't give me a job. <laughs> Everybody on the group was laughing. And he was like, it's a lie. That honestly, and now we'll be begging you to work for us. I was like, you see, what God cannot do does not exist. <laughs> so basically, you know, um, but again, like I said, it's, it, it was not a straight line. So once that happened, we um, were like, okay, this is not going to work out. 40,000 naira is probably what I will make with one proposal. I will, you know, sell, this, mm. make for somebody. But I really wanted to build a career, right? So I was still at that point trying to figure out. Hmm. Then I met this guy. He was like, you know, he said, oh, that he's, a, he's now a senior advocate of Nigeria. Um, so I'm not going to call his name because I don't want any trouble. But <laughs> the guy said, oh, let's have an interview in Ikoi. And I said, okay, fine, no problem. He said he was going to be at the Ikoi Golf Club. So me, I wore, you know, dressed up for the interview. I wore heels and everything. So I go, I go to him and I'm like, okay, let's have this interview. And he's like, oh, that he's playing golf. So I should come to the golf course. Ah. Then he gave me his golf clubs to carry with my heels. I walked, as in, I walked like 17 holes because this guy, and it was uh, during the interview. And he was just like, as in, he, this guy turned me to his caddy. Caddy, that's what he called it. He was like, you know, so I carried the whole thing. And then he actually offered me the job. And he offered me 50,000 naira. So at least 10, 10 <laughs> 10K, K more. 10K more <laughs> than the other guy. And then this office was in Ikeja. I took the job. And then the day I quit was one day at 4 a.m. This guy called me. He's like, he wants me to go to court um, that morning. And it was, it was a matter that his friend was supposed to appear but his friend cannot travel from Port and then the matter is going to come up first thing in the morning at the you know at the high courts in Lagos. I was like okay this was at 4 4 a.m or something you know he calls me. Um, I said okay fine no problem so I wore my dress my white and black with my wig and gown. <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> and then I started going downstairs. I turned on the car. My mother said where are you going? I said my 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 boss said I should come and collect a file from him from Ikui. She said, do you know what time it is? I said, for She said, how much are they paying you? I said, 50,000. She said, I'll give you the money. <laughs> she was like, what? That's not going to happen. And then, you know, and that was the day I sat down and I thought about it. And I was like, I don't think this is what I want to do for mm. the rest of my life. I wasn't enjoying the work. And I just, it just didn't seem like a good environment for me. So I remember quitting my job that week. Maybe that same day. I just went back to the office. You know, I just told him that this is over. I'm not doing anymore. And at that point, point in time I met someone who um, 
uh, was telling me, he said, ah, I have an idea for a product. This guy has just come back from one of those schools in America, I think it was MIT or something. It was really ginger. He was like, so I just met him. I can't remember how I met him, but he was telling me that, you're a lawyer, right? I have a tech um, idea. I said, what does that mean? Because <laughs> Say what about, does that mean? Exactly. Think about this. This is like um, 20, 2011, something like that. It was a long time ago, right? Almost about, about a decade ago. So the, the ecosystem, the tech ecosystem as we see it in, in Nigeria right now, what most people don't realize is that it's really um, blossomed in the last five or six years, right? Like, so, you know, this guy says he wants to start a tech company. It sounded very um, weird to me. I mean, I knew the likes of Interswitch and Charms and yeah. all of that, but you know, a young guy just by yourself. Who are you? Why do you want to start a tech company? So he said, ah, that the idea is that have I heard of QR codes? I was like, QR codes? He was like, yes. That his own idea is that you take a QR code, you go to a, um, you go to a supermarket, and then you can, you can scan um, you know, with the QR code and you can pay. Now, this actually seems very simple because yeah. this, is, this is technology that we see every day. But somebody telling me this 10 years ago, you know, I just didn't understand what I was going yeah. But I was like, this sounds like a very interesting thing. So what do you need a lawyer for? And he was like, well, I don't know, but I know that tech companies need lawyers. First of all, I want to check if I can protect my intellectual property because mm. this is my invention. I was like, I don't know the answer to that question because I was still fresh out of law school, right? Less, less than one year, but I was like, I'll find out. So again, I called this my friend, Linda, and I said, okay, let's, let's try. And, and Linda found it interesting, and then we started working on that particular product. We didn't get the protection because at the time, Nigeria was Nigerian. Nigeria does not, does not <laughs> allow you Nigeria. to protect um, copyrights, to protect software or something. There was something with the, with the laws at the time that didn't allow us to protect it. But it was a very interesting journey because that was my first introduction to tech. To tech. And I was like, I like what this guy is building. And I mean, not what he was building. I just liked the idea that somebody could just think about the fact that, oh, I can just build anything, right? Like, like the audacity to mm. dream and the audacity to say, oh, you know, I'm going to build a solution that everybody in Nigeria is going to use one day. You know, for me, I just found that, I found out very, very, you know, exciting. And that was it. And I never looked back. That's amazing. Permit me a little intermission break to tell you about this cool company that I found. This is particularly for business owners and digital makers in Africa. Have you ever heard about Seabit? No? Oh my gosh. Come a little closer. Let me tell you about it. Seabit is a payment solutions provider powering payment collection for local and global businesses in Africa. They have infrastructure wheels across 12 African countries and counting. I know you'll probably say that, I've heard that before, there's so many payments companies in Africa, so let me focus on the things that actually make CBIT stand out. They have a wide range of payment products, from checkouts to invoicing, to payment gateways and remittance um, gateways that can be white labeled, to virtual accounts, to payment links, and so much more. In fact, they have the most reliable virtual account system in the market. They recently partnered with 9P, to build their infrastructure rules from scratch, which means there are no more frequent downtimes and yes, better speed and more rigorous technical support. But what does this actually mean for business in Africa? It means that fintechs can actually integrate service infrastructure and provide virtual accounts for their users for P2P payment, savings, loan collections and repayments. But it's not just for fintechs. Sport betting companies as well can integrate CIB to allow their users to fund their betting wallets. Small businesses can use their payment links to actually collect payments from their websites and 
FMCGs can actually integrate CIBT infrastructure to actually assign virtual accounts to their clients and merchants for invoicing and payment collection. It's really cool and a solid company. So if you ever if you need any form of payment infrastructure for your business in Africa, then definitely contact CIBT. The website CIBT.com. I'm going to put a link to the website and how you can email them on this video description. Make sure you check them out if you're a business owner or you make decisions about the business in Africa. Let's go back to the video. But then I know that you went to Columbia Law School. I did. So how did that, how did you go from, oh, I'm helping this person with this yeah. law, with this tech um, idea to yeah. I'm going to go do like a master's in Columbia. Yeah. yeah. So I knew that in order for me to, so I started after this, this first meeting, right? Um, I, I, you know, I started working for this person just on the side, but I was still doing a bit of other things just to make ends meet because tech entrepreneurs there did not have money. Nobody was raising We're money. Raising money. <laughs> so there was no money or anything like that. So I was doing a bit of other stuff on the side. I was, you know, working here and there. And I knew, but I, I started getting very, very, very interested in the tech space. And I knew that in order for me to be able to build the sort of career I wanted to build, um, I needed to get some sort of, you know, credibility stamp mm. of some sort. I mean, not that I really cared about it, but I knew that that accessibility was important, right? Because this is me, an outsider, saying that I want to become one of the best tech lawyers in the world, not even how, in Nigeria. How, and how, where do I, how do I want how do yeah. I access? So I literally just sat down and I Googled best um, law schools in the world, right? And then I applied to, I applied to the top five. Um, and that was it. And then when I, I applied to the top five, I, I got into four of them. And when it was time for me to pick, I wanted to pick between... Um, so I'd gotten to, yeah, so I, I had a couple of places to pick and then I saw Columbia's program and I saw it was in New York and I was like, okay, New York gives me an opportunity for me to, you know, just be there, New York. I mean, it's the, it's, yeah, 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 it's just the capital. I, I got into Berkeley as well, which would have been, which is in California and which is right there in Silicon Valley. Um, but I just felt that, okay, maybe it was not time for me to go to Berkeley yet. So I wanted to go to New York, experience New York. Um, and then maybe after after Colombia, then go to, to, to Silicon Valley. But as, ha as it happened, after Colombia, Colombia offered me a job. So I worked, in, I worked with Colombia under a fellowship for one year post mm. my time in Colombia. Um, but when I was in Colombia, my main focus was um, business and human rights and also technology and venture capital. So that was the first time I was meeting with, so we, for our technology and venture capital track, we had like top VCs, you know, all the visas that people would admire and all of that. <laughs> I didn't even know who they were at the time. Mm. So they would come to class, you know, they would come in as adjuncts and guest lecturers and things like that. And that was my first exposure to like, okay, when you're building a tech company, these are the kind of legal considerations that you have to right. think about. Um, and for the first time, I was like, okay, there's actually, because I knew that there was space for you to be a lawyer in the tech space. But, you but I just, yeah, I, I couldn't see how. So that, um, so Colombia kind of gave me that structure um, and also while I was in Colombia we we had like this um, we had this group where we provided pro bono legal services to startups within the the Manhattan ecosystem so mm -hmm. just like you know, local um, legal advisory we were not we, we we could not provide the advisory at the time because I wasn't qualified as a lawyer in the US then um, but we would just work with lawyers who were providing it and that was you know I just love that and then post my fellowship with Colombia I I ended up having a, uh, a, a couple of job offers, right? And I took one of them and they told me, they deceived me that I would do work in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so 
basically, I really wanted to do Africa-focused work. I was doing some of it, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with entrepreneurs. And they had told me that I would do that, mm. but that was not what was going to happen. So I decided, I think it was in 2018, and I said, okay, I'm going to try and start my own thing. Mm. And I was, I was afraid at the time. I was, I was really scared. And then Linda said to me, she's like, hey, what's the worst case scenario, right? Like, if, you don't, if this doesn't work out. You can just fall back to Yeah, so you just go and just... Um, dust your resume and get a job um and that was it so so from colombia too and i just started vastly go just like that people ask me for the inspiration behind the name i wish i had <laughs> a story behind it there's no story i was just looking for something that you know i was just like oh you know says african somewhat and it's still easy to pronounce there's no story about it but just yeah found it and yeah it together. and I just put it there so vastly go started and luckily for us it kind of coincided with the time when a lot of um, African startups were raising money. Mm. So we had clients knocking on our door even before we were fully set up, right? Um, I mean, it took maybe like a month to get our first client, but once we got that first one, it was just like, you know, just like that. And the speed at which we've grown has just been um, surprising to me, I think. I didn't, I didn't expect that uh, that was going to happen. Um, I also think that is also because right now, as it's where, there are not many tech-focused law firms um in nigeria or even on the continent so if you are speaking to anybody and you're like you want a tech lawyer you know there are maybe like three or four five names that will come up so i think that's what's happened but so far so good it's it's been really interesting and i know that you, you're still doing scale my hustle so at what point yeah. did scale my hustle start scale my hustle started at the time i started vastly so what, what had happened with scale my hustle was i was trying to build a business and i just didn't find resources so mm. like i was like okay i want to build a business I'm looking for resources to help me think through this, you know, and all of that to build a very, you know, um, sustainable business. And I just couldn't find. So I was talking to a friend of mine. I was in Russia, actually, um, uh, Tosin of Money Africa. So we're in Russia for the World Cup. Wait, was that, that was 2018, right? The World Cup, yeah. I think 2018. So, so where I remember very clearly we were in Moscow on a bus, one of those um, hop on, off on bu um, bu um, buses. And then I was telling Tosin about this whole thing. I was like, how do you, you know, figure this thing out? And she was like, why don't you just start putting together something, mm. you know? And then that would just help um, other people who are struggling with the same problem where you have, you know, to figure out structure in their business and everything like that. And, you know, a lot of people need structure in their business for them to be able to raise capital anyway. So why don't you just do it? So we started Scale My Hustle as that sort of like platform where it was just like, oh, we'll just provide resources for entrepreneurs. It kind of grew into a community. So it grew into a paid community um, of like people who are starting various businesses. Then we used to have, I think it even came on one or two of them. <laughs> we used to have like sessions where, you know, experts will come and talk about yeah. different things from like growth marketing um, to, you know, to like SEO to, you know, raising capital and things like that. So that's kind of like how scale my hustle evolved. Is there, is there a sort of collaboration or relationship or a place where Vasi Legal and um, scale my hustle kind of intersect? Yeah. Um, in a way, not, not, not so much. And the reason for that is because law firms, you know, um, are, are very, are very regulated. So for instance, Vasiligo cannot do, at least in, in Nigeria. So we're registered in Nigeria and the US. And in Nigeria, for instance, Nigerians part of the business cannot do advertisements or anything like that. Mm. And then when, you, because of the laws of um, um, professional conduct, and one of the things when you think about it so we, we we i even consciously try to separate scale my hustle from vast level because i also don't want any situation where it looks like scale my hustle is doing something and then it, it, 
it kind of appears that it's Vasilego, and then we get into trouble for that. Yeah. Um, but I think that separation has been has been very good. Yeah. So even in people's minds, they see them as two separate things, and which was um, very important for me. But we do have situations where, for instance, people who are like members of the paid community and scale my house are like, oh, I need a lawyer, right? Mm. Like they come to us um, and usually, you know, we just do it at Vasilego, but that's on the back end, but on the front end, um, not really. Okay, so let's step away from your career for a bit. We'll come back to like talk more about <laughs> the career, but let's, let's talk about your personal brand, right? Yeah. Because that's also a large part of like who you are, not just that you're a tech lawyer. Um, at what point did you start deliberately building your personal brand? Or you can also answer from a point where you realize, oh my God, now I have a personal brand. I have 100K followers or I have this amount of followers on Twitter. Like how did that go? Did it, was it deliberate like, oh, mm. maybe because you wanted to build a business and you wanted to get known in the African ecosystem, like, okay, I need to actually put myself out there. Or did it just happen along the way and yeah. you kept building on it? Yeah, so it's the, it's the latter, right? It just happened along the way. And I haven't even started building, right? Like, <laughs> honestly, my personal brand is just scattered. And, but I noticed this, I think I, I even reached out to a PR expert recently because I noticed that, okay, I needed to have a more cohesive story mm. around my personal brand. Um, and for, for the longest time, I just didn't want to accept the fact that there's a brand that is more delay and that is you, right? Like, I would go to different countries and then somebody just woke up to me I, I don't think in the last two years i don't think there's any country i've gone to that, that not someone. one person would walk up to me and say sorry are you more it actually <laughs> even just happened right now today right like, so you know it's always like what well, it took me very, i was in denial for a very long time mm. but when i realized um that I, and i didn't really care because sometimes i'll just tweet something they're like ah feminist said you know your husband <laughs> should pay you seventy five thousand. i mean nonsense so sometimes you just have like i'll just tweet something random and then a newspaper punch like we'll just punch. carry i'm telling you <laughs> i'm calling them i'm calling them out i said i mean like, this is a national newspaper why are you carrying random tweets from me so but but then i realized i'm like maybe it's actually just not random tweets right like so mm. maybe you now have to consciously pay but i still didn't pay attention to it but one thing happened recently i was talking to a client a, pr a prospective client and a client told me that this client is not Nigerian, doesn't really know anything about Nigeria or anything like that. And told me that, um, Mo, I, by the way, we're Googling you um, and we saw that, uh, you know, you seem to be an activist. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want a lawyer that is getting into trouble. I said, I'm not an activist or anything. So I, that, that's the first time. I was like, yes, I'm an activist, of course, because I believe in, you know, um, access to justice and equality and all of that kind of nice stuff. But I mean, you won't find me fighting anybody, you know what yeah. I mean? But then I, um, then I did a Google search for myself. And then I saw that, you know, the first thing that, you, that comes out is not really my professional life, which you right. should be, but it's really about like the, the role I played in, you know, in some peaceful, in, in a peaceful process that happened in Nigeria in 2020. Um, and I, I told myself, I said, okay, fine, this is not a bad thing. I'm not ashamed of the work mm -hmm. that I did. I'm in fact, I'm probably one of the proudest things um, of my life, really. I'm very mm. proud of, you know, the role. But I'm like, going forward, I don't want this to define me. I don't right. want people to see me and put, you know, XXX protester. I said, no, that's <laughs> not it. So that's for the first time um, I decided and I said, okay, I'm going to talk to a prayer person and see what I can do to make sure that, because now what is happening is, it's a, it's a case of if you don't tell your story, other people will tell it for you. They'll tell it for you. So yeah. I'm just at that point where I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what I needed, what I need to do, um, and things like that. So and so, yeah. how do you want to be known now? You know, to be honest, I just I don't even want to be known. <laughs> 
I mean, it's too late. I just want to be quiet. It's too late. So <laughs> Do you know what I now? No, one time I actually, I actually, I actually thought about it. I was like, what if I change my name? I, I mean, <laughs> I, I like legal name change because I was tired. Um, but but really and um, truly, I just want to be known as. I just want to be known as, you know, the, the best tech lawyer that exists. That's it. It's a very simple thing. So it's like for the period of my lifetime, when I'm alive, if you, you know, that's it. I just want, that's all I want. So it's very narrow, you know, and it's just like, okay, I'm a tech lawyer and this is what it is. That's what I want to be known for now. Um, when I retire, which is going to be in a few years. Um. <laughs> when I retire, I mean, I'm in my mid thirties already now. So I mean, I have to start thinking about retirement. And when I retire, I just want to disappear. And when I say disappear, I just want to go somewhere quiet at some lakeside, just like, you know, writing books and just watching the water um, and then just be satisfied in my life that, okay, you know what, I've created an impact that, you know, other people are just going to take away and continue mm. with. And that's it. So I, the way I see my journey is I see myself as an enabler in the sense that I don't even really want... I mean, I don't really want any glory or anything for myself. I really see myself as setting the pathway for other people. Mm. Um, and that's kind of like where, that's how... That's how you want to be remembered. Yes, that's how, that's my assignments, you know, that's the assignment I've given myself. So literally, um, my law firm, for instance, we're 95% women and it's deliberate. Um, because I want people to be able to see, like, and my lawyers are very close to me, right? Like, so when I'm doing stuff, I take them along. I'm very open and transparent about challenges, about, you know, things. So they just know that, okay, this is possible and this person is doing it. It's also another reason why I share on social media. Mm. I'm a very private person. And um, when I share things, it's not from a place of like, you know, I don't, I don't really care what other people think, but it just, it's just a place of just, you know, showing other people like me mm. um, that this is possible, you can do this. And again, I think tying it back to how I grew up, right? Like me saying, I just grew up myself, like so. just teaching myself everything, up until building my law firm, right? I, like, it's me just teaching myself. I met somebody just earlier today and she was telling me that, ah, I started a law firm, honestly, and a lot of what you've shared along the way helped me and for me impact is not even about scale i don't mm. want to impact one million people but it's just about the, the, the sort of value yeah. right so even if it's 10 people and then that is very you know valuable to the to, to their life what's going to happen is they're going to pay it forward and i think that's how we just create a better world right mm. so me i don't need all the glory it doesn't have to be oh more more did this or invented this i'm just like let me just create a pathway you know for people who are similar to me or look like me you know or even people who are dissimilar, just create a pathway for other people. Yeah, for other and, people. And why, why, is it, why is it tech law? Why, why does being a tech lawyer matter in helping you achieve this assignment? Um, I think it's just a matter. I think it's just um, because I do it in other areas of my life as well. So mm. not just, you know, um, in my professional life. But I think it's also, it's just because this is where I find myself. So it's a matter, it's a, you know, it's a question of um, do what you can with what you are, where, where you are. Right? Or, sorry, do what you can, what you have, where you are. So it's just a question of this is where I f this is the space I find myself, right? If I was, you know, if, if I decided today and I said, okay, you know what, I want to be a content creator, it's kind of, kind of going to be a full time I mean, content creator. Exactly. <laughs> but that's the thing, I'm not making any money. Come and teach me now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a broke content creator. That's the problem. <laughs> But no, but seriously, Instagram has started paying me like hundred dollars per per reel, per Instagram reels. You see, I've been doing Instagram reels. People on Instagram are like, "I am doing reels." They don't know that <laughs> they are doing it because <laughs> I've been giving them transitions. They're like, "Ah, ah, ah!" But it's because Mark has been paying me small, small. Anyway, so if, if I decide to be a full-time content creator, for instance, 
I still think that that was going to be the core of the mm. message that I'll be passing mm. across, right? So it's kind of like, yeah, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing is just going to be the same thing. And that's what makes me happy. That's what makes me fulfilled. Um, just seeing that, okay, because of something you said or because of something you did, you know, somebody else fi finds it a lot easier. Yeah. Um, and, as, and I think as an immigrant as well, when I moved to the U.S., that was also very important because moving to the U.S., I didn't know anything about what I was supposed to do. I didn't know anything about the credit system. Mm. I didn't know anything about rent. I didn't know anything about, you know, it was just a lot of stuff to figure out. I didn't know anything about, like, you know, the institutional races. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know how to navigate getting a job. And it was all those people who left snippets of how they've been able to um, overcome these challenges that really helped me put my life together. And I mm. think a pivotal moment in my life was really moving to the, to the US. I'm not telling everybody to jack my, but. <laughs> But, <laughs> but I do think it was a pivotal moment in my life. And I think it was just, you know, at the age where I was, you know, having found um, what I wanted to do career-wise. So it just really made sense um, for me. Uh, and then just, just being in America, just being by myself and just trying to figure things out. It just, yeah. So, but me seeing other people just share... Um, and they just made it a lot easier for me, right? So, and I just told myself, I said, okay, you know what? And it's very easy. So when you, once you've been a beneficiary of like that sort of um, kindness from other people, it's very easy yeah, to pay it forward yeah. without wanting anything else. Because sometimes when people share, it's like, oh yeah, you know, this person probably wants something in return. I don't, I don't really care. Mm -hmm. Even if I share something I have really want, want to I'm just saying that one retweet, that one, like the person that's found this useful and that's enough for me. I don't care about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in a way, um, to go back to your question, I haven't consciously built that personal brand. Um, I'd left it for a very long time, but now I think it's I'm at a point where, yeah, I need to build it because I want to tell my own story myself. Yeah, that makes <laughs> a lot of sense. Thank you for that very long way you answered the question with a lot of depth because you just, you know, brought a lot of different things. So let's go back to your career for a minute. When you were talking about just the challenges that you face being an, a new immigrant mm -hmm. and then deciding, okay, I'm still new in the country. Like, I don't think you spent like more than five years before mm -hmm. you started doing Vasily Legal and then now building a business. And I know, so it's a tech law firm. It's 90%, 95% more women. But what else about how you build Vasily Legal is different from how maybe other people build their own law firms? And what were like the very early challenges that you had in just like getting it off the ground? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think the main um, challenge that I had was really around capacity, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when I say capacity, it's like, okay, where am I going to find other tech lawyers that I can afford? I'm not saying they're not, <laughs> <laughs> that I can afford to pay. So that was the problem. Um, and I've always been this kind of person. I'm like, okay, you know, find a solution to it. So maybe that's where, where there was an intersection between Scale My Hustle and Vastly Go because I launched a course on Scale My Hustle mm -hmm. To um, that was talking about becoming a tech tech lawyer, and I wasn't the only instructor on the course. So I brought in other people that are more experienced than I am. Uh, I brought in VCs as well to teach that course, and it was just a matter of okay, if you are if you're a lawyer who's interested in becoming a tech lawyer, take this course. It was a skill my hustle course, but really for me, I also I, I I did it for two things because I wanted to find out where people were in terms of like how they were thinking about um, providing. Uh, legal services to tech companies and what the issues like how let me even meet other lawyers who mm -hmm. are interested in this space so I think my first set of uh, lawyers I actually interviewed for Vastly when I interviewed from that class right um, so from people who had made contributions in class and I'm like okay this person is smart they really know what they're doing but I also knew that um, 
there's a lot of training that needed to happen. So one of the core things that has really been an ethos of vast legal is that we always tell people that, hey, you are going to unlearn everything that you know about like what a law firm should be like because we're right. not like that, right? Like so that's not so we are going to relearn things and we're very open with like um culture. So I think I, I take a different approach to culture. Like a lot of um companies will tell you and say this is our culture and this is what it's supposed to be but i think culture is dynamic and i think people make up culture mm -hmm. and i think for you to be to, and for you to be able to have so I, I believe in a culture where you know people can feel free to express themselves and if you have a rigid culture you're not going to see that you want to know your people right so we are of course we have the framework and say this is the kind of place we want to we, we want people to work but we're also very flexible in like okay let's let's let people contribute so our culture document is a live document for instance which is like okay people are like and and you should also be able to give people the opportunity to audit culture, right? Like, so if you just have a culture that is set in stone, it's not audited, nothing, it doesn't move. But that's not how it is. Because when you even think about culture just in the real sense of the word, mm -hmm. it's very dynamic. So that's kind of like how um, we've, we've, we've structured that. Then I th the main challenge, I, so yeah, I think the, I just talked about the main challenge being capacity. We didn't really have a problem with... Um, uh, clients. Uh, in fact, the challenge we ended up having was on the flip side, where it was like we just didn't have enough capacity to meet the demand. Yeah, to meet the demand of the clients that um, that we had. And a core of our business has been 80% referrals, or maybe more than that. Uh, every uh, most people that we do business with end up introducing us. We were doing we're, we're crunching the data, and we found out that each of our clients has introduced us to an average of four other people. And I just thought that was fantastic because I was like, that's it's fantastic. Yeah. So I was just I was looking at it. I was like, that's that's fantastic. And we have a conversion hit rate because we have like a hello reach us reach out, reach out to us on our website. This is just random, not referrals. And then we crunched the number and found out that fifty percent. We have a fifty percent conversion rate from people who have reached out to us randomly on our website um, to actually conversion to clients. So I'm like, okay, that's not bad. Um, so we're at the point where, uh, you know, in the next couple of months, I'm even looking at mergers because I've now got to a point where it's like, okay, we need to acquire somebody or somebody needs to acquire or something. And acquisition has to happen somewhere. <laughs> because now the briefs that we're, 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 we're kind of like um, hustling, not hustling, but the briefs that we're kind of getting are like, no, we get a lot of early stage companies, which mm -hmm. is great, but it's mostly companies that are now past Series A, and which is good because it means that we're growing with the industry, mm -hmm. right? But also those same briefs, um, you know, we have like bigger law firms fighting for those briefs as well. So we're at this make and break moment where it's like, is that how you keep playing small, or if or you, you want to go get big, big then you have to, to get really yeah. big. I mean, I'm not afraid of getting really good. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'm really excited about like what that. Um, and I'm not. I'm also not like like I said. I don't need to hoard any glory. It doesn't have to be anything. So I'm very open. So like I've been looking at um, other uh, female or women run um, tech um, yeah. tech law firms as well. Even if they are not strictly tech, but if they have like a practice area that will be useful to us, so I'm just you know having those conversations and seeing how it's going. And that so sounds far, really so excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. What are you most proud of as as the founder of Vasiligal? Um, hmm. I think my people, honestly, um, because for every single person that works with the firm, I have inter so I, I never do the first set of interview, but I you know I interview them, um, and we have this 
we have a series we have this game nights thing that we do every thursday and there's just a lot of dancing and everything and i just look at them i'm like how did all these amazing people <laughs> come together i really like them as it and i know people say oh don't say your work people are your family but like you know <laughs> But red, I, flag, I red, flag. Yeah, red flag, red flag. I don't even see them as family. I see them as friends, mm. which for me, it's it's very critical. Like sometimes um, I'm really down and I'm like, I don't want to have a meeting today and everything. But we get on the phone and then somebody will say something that will make me laugh in the net, in the, in, you know, in five seconds. I'm like, I didn't want to laugh today. I wanted to be angry. What's the problem? So, you know, um, I really like them. And especially for people who studied law, because the majority of the people who work at Vast Legal, um, studied law in Nigeria. So for our US office, um, we mostly work with like independent lawyers because that's the easiest way to, you know, to be able to pay them. So they just, <laughs> you just pay them per job instead of keeping them in-house. Um, so, but for a majority of people who work full-time in Vast Legal, studied law in Nigeria. And it's, it's, it's this, the system itself is very rigid, um, very controlling to the extent that I imagine wearing white on black every single day of your life for six years right and they tell you that you can't change that so you wake up every morning you wear a white shirt you wear a black skirt and they tell you how to what to do to your hair you know what kind of textures you should wear so these are people who have been under you know this sort of controlled environment for so long um but somehow you know are able to still be flexible and be free and you know People in my, the lawyers in Invasive Legal have colored hair, which is not something that you see no, with law firms in yeah. Nigeria, right? Like, but again, the principal partner has three persons on her face. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what are we saying? And I think that's another thing. Like, you know, people see me and they're like, oh, Mo can do that. I'll, I'll do it too, right? Like, and I just like the fact that they come to work and they bring their whole selves to work. Um, but yeah. I, I know I've gone in lots about this, but that's because that's how much that's I like me, my yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, is there one if there's say one or two experiences that you say these experiences shaped who I am today, what would they be? Okay, I think the first one would be my relationship with my dad. Mm. Um, my dad had a very uh, weird uh, attitude towards money. He never believed that you needed to accom acc accumulate it, which was probably good or bad, but he was just like, oh, money is a tool that should be utilized for something. Um, so he never saw the need to. Of course, he had savings, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, he had three wives, so, you know, I, we know where his savings were going to. Anyway, so he's like, he never saw the need to just accumulate money and just keep it that way. So it was just like, okay, uh what 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 is this what is what do i need this particular sum of money for what am i going to use it for how does it work for me uh what do i want to achieve with it and that's kind of like a core because of course our relationship with money is really a core of our life right yeah. like so, and that's a core um part of my life in terms of like how i see money i don't i'm not worried about money and it's not because i don't i have a lot of it you know it's just because i see it as a tool so i'm like okay if I need to do something and this is what it's going to cost, then how do I get the money to do that thing, right? Um, and if I can't, like, you know, and if it's something that, if I don't end up doing it, then I feel like it's just because I don't want to do it mm. bad enough, right? Like, so once I want to do something, I figure out a way to do it. And I think that's really the core. And it, it, the, the philosophy works for me because it makes me believe that nothing is unattainable. So if you tell me that something is X price and I really want that thing, I would get that X price, right? Regardless of where, I'm, where I am. So I think that's number one. The second one is the relationship with someone I met in the US. Her name is um, Hedda Eisenlord. She was my first boss in the US. 
Um, and as soon as I met her and I started working with her, so this was like, what, six, seven years ago, uh, I told myself that this was the kind of boss I just wanted to be. So every yeah. time, you know, I have a challenge at work or something, I'm like, what would Heather do? Well, ah. we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're still close friends. We actually uh, were just in Morocco together recently because another friend of ours, we're, we're getting married. But it's like almost 20 years between Heather and I, so she's not even <laughs> my mate. She's not my mate like that. But I started working with her and um, she was the first person that showed me that it was very, it, it, it's, it's easy um, or it's possible, not easy, it's possible for you to you know respect people who who are your, your subordinates right and be friends with them but still being able to make sure that there are boundaries right and the reason why people are nasty bosses or whatever is because that's easier than setting boundaries she was the first person who taught me that it was possible you know for you to actually um, be friends with people who are your subordinates right people who you supervise but at the same time being able to uh put those boundaries and respect those boundaries. And uh, I found out that a lot of people, you know, find it like it's easy to just be a, oh, you know what, I, I don't want to talk to you outside yeah. work and all of that, because that's easier than actually being able to create boundaries, right? Um, and I'm not saying that anybody, everybody needs to be like that, but I just enjoy the style of working a lot because it made me not only, you know, bring my best self to work, I did some of the best work of my career Vastly legal, I know they're looking at me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's where you stop to be like. <laughs> so, um, I like the work at Vastly also, but I did want some of the best work of my career working with her mm. because I was just happy, right, um, coming to work. And I was like, and maybe it was just because of the kind of experiences I'd had, like comparatively. But I also worked with some other bosses in America and it wasn't like that. But for her, it was amazing. And like I said, we're still friends. You know, she, she texted me like, two months ago and she was like hey i'm in morocco for a wedding you want to come through and i was like wherever you are in I'm the world there. i'm coming you know so we're still we're, st we're still cool and we spent like a week together and all of that um so i think those two things so very so relationship with your dad and his relationship with money yeah and then held out because of yeah. how she inspired you to be a better yeah. a better boss yes yes exactly so very two interesting <laughs> kisses okay now just talking about a morocco trip we've been mm -hmm. traveling for the last how many months now um, I think eight, eight. Oh, so I'll get it closer to yeah, the one year. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> How many countries have you done so far? I've done 18. How um, many left? Uh, you know, funny enough, I don't know how many would be left. I think now I'm just like, because I didn't have a target number. I was just doing, I was just going with the flow. So I'm not really sure how many of different countries. Yeah. And yeah. but it's kind of like been interesting because for some countries I have spent one day or two days. Mm. And then some for other countries I've spent like, um, you know, a month. Like Lebanon, for instance, I was supposed to spend a week in Lebanon and I ended up spending one month. Um, so yeah. Was there a reason why? Because Lebanon is amazing. <laughs> like, I mean, the landscape is so just So it's really gorgeous. about the country and you get yeah. it like, you know, I'm staying yeah. for a couple more Yeah, days. I mean, and I love the people, I love the food. Um, the culture is very similar to Nigeria. I don't know how come, because we're so far <laughs> apart. Maybe it's also because there's been a lot of like, you know, inter-trading, inter and we have a huge Lebanese population here in Nigeria. Very true. In fact, I didn't even know that there's a direct flight from Nigeria to Lebanon, and it's, yeah, from Lagos to Lebanon, and it's five hours, or five and a half hours. Um, so, so, yeah. But, like, you walk into a restaurant, you know, in Lebanon, and they, you ask, they ask you, like, where are you from? You're like, Nigeria. They're like, ah, I used to work in Ikoi. You know, <laughs> I used to work at SIP. Literally, because a lot of um, managers for restaurants and bars in yeah, Lagos are Lebanese. Actually, and they yeah. come, so they all know each other. So they're just like, oh, ah, uh -uh, my guy, do you know Kunle? We used to live together at 1G4. I'm like, okay, 1G4. 
Yeah, so so Lebanon I really liked. But the landscape is very beautiful. Like the the beaches are untouched, you know. For some funny reason, I feel like people that live by the ocean, they don't like to swim in the ocean. So you don't even see them swimming in the ocean, which is good because it means that they've really protected you yeah. know, the ocean. It, it looks really, really blue. Like sometimes when I, when I take walks in the morning and I'm just walking, I'm just like, how is this sort of beauty even possible? And I think it was also the part of Lebanon I was... So I traveled around Lebanon, but I stayed a lot in the north, in the northern part of Lebanon. And I don't know, it was, it was incredible. Even from the pictures I was posting from Lebanon, people were like, ah, is this... <laughs> <laughs> Where is this? You know, so... And I'd not even, you know, even had time to sort out through the pictures I have, right? Like, that's how incredible it is. And then Lebanon is also... Has a very rich history, like internal history, um, and I also like the resilience of the of so the people as well. Is that the well. favorite country you've been to so far? Obviously, I've been talking about <laughs> it for five minutes. <laughs> I just wanted to be sure. <laughs> so yeah, and then the, it just has a very deep personal history, and then the people are constantly fighting, and you know they're very resilient. And maybe again, it reminds me of Nigeria, right? Like mm. so, so just that, and they're happy people, right? If you want to go out every day in Lebanon, you go out, and there's always something happening, right? Like you know, so I did, I did, and the food was really good as well. I, I did, I, yeah, it's my favorite. So if there's one experience that would stay with you, it would be the trip to Lebanon. I think so. I think so. Is there is there any core lesson that you've learned? Just maybe something happened, or just you know, by virtue of just traveling, you've just learned this one lesson or two lessons. In the last eight months that will stay with you that you like because i did this stint of traveling i know that this thing i picked up would be one pivotal lesson i always remember yeah so it goes like this there are no coincidences in life only fate um only fate yes i'm not religious or anything but every time i meet someone and i have a conversation with them i know that is not a it's not a coincidence right i take my time to be present in that moment i don't touch my phone and it seems like a small thing but I wouldn't if I'm having a conversation with someone you know my phone is off I'm just being present in that moment because I'm like you know what there's a reason I'm speaking to you today and mm. I want to be here this is where I'm supposed to be I don't want to be in multiple places and then traveling has just really taught me to just be able to be in the present um so whenever I um, speak to people whenever I meet people I just want to be present in that moment because I think that we live in a world of constant distraction mm. right like where it's like you know your phone is ringing and then there's social media and it's all of that but I think just being able to just be present in the moment is very important because again we're also because each time you know you are on many platforms at the same time yeah. right? like all those dis all those distractions also just bring in some sort of worry and let me tell when this happened to me was when I was in um, I think I was in Albania or something and I just decided for myself just randomly I said I'm gonna turn off my phone for 24 hours I don't care if the world is burning, if anything, it's no problem. I'll see the fire from my window, but let me just turn off yeah. my phone. And for the fr I turned off my phone and that was it. Then when I tried to turn on my phone, the phone did not come on. The <laughs> <laughs> was so, like, you left me, I'll leave Exactly, so the phone didn't come on. So basically, I was without a phone, and that was the longest in my life that I've never been with a phone. Like, I was without a phone for one, one week in, in Albania, because obviously I was Oh, the phone, it come on the phone so just, yeah, yeah, the phone just spoiled. It didn't come on. So I'd gone swimming the other day, and then there was water in the phone. I needed to, you know, dry it out. But that one week, oh, the first 24 hours, that's the first, the, the next 24 hours after, mm. you know, I because the first 24 hours was deliberate. Then, you know, the following 24 hours was really hard, because I was, I was worried. I was like, who's trying to call me? Who's yeah. trying to, you know? The, so basically, I sent, you know, I went to somewhere to a hotel and then I, you know, used my laptop. I sent um, 
my mom an email just to tell her that I'm okay, right. you know, and that was it. And then, yeah. And then by the next 24 hours, I just forgot about it. And then I would go to a bar and I would sit down and I would just really just be, I was just paying more attention to, you know, the so color of that chair. Drinking and typing yeah, exactly. You know, the color of that chair. Oh, this person's smile. You know, and everybody was on their phone anyway, but I was just, you know, paying a lot more attention to that. And I just liked it. I liked just being able to just walk on the streets of Tirana and just looking around and just looking at the building and just like you know, getting lost, really, because I didn't even have Google Maps, no phone. So, <laughs> so I kind of really enjoy that experience. So I even still do it from time to time where, you know, once every three months or so, I just turn off my phone for like a week. Be present. Yeah, I actually just even came out from one recently. And um, where I just turn off my phone for a week and that's it, you know. So for me, it's just like, you know, just being present in the moment, you know, and that's, that's and it. And there are no coincidence, just faith. Yeah, just faith, yeah. What's the most difficult thing about being more? Ha. Huh. Because, you know, she's so beautiful. That's what I'm, I'm joking. How do you maintain this beauty? Um, I think... I word, think, word, word, <laughs> word, word. Give us tips. I think the most um, difficult thing about me is I'm, I'm very passionate. Um, I... I find it very difficult to to let go, and this happens. So not the difficult thing about you. Oh, the about me. About being you. About being me. Huh, how do you answer that kind of question? I don't think I'm I'm a very easy go looking person. <laughs> I don't think I don't think honestly. I mean, um, okay, maybe a lot of people misunderstand me, something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's because, you know, they see me from afar and they just assume, they make assumptions. And I used to, I think the most difficult thing about being me is carrying the weight of those assumptions, right? Mm. Um, I used to carry it a lot. And I'm like, okay, this person thinks this thing about me, you know, and then I'm worried about it. But like the moment I let go of that, you know, there's just this piece. So now I'm just like, hey, your assumptions are your assumptions. Think what that's you want to think. Yeah. So the people that I care about know me you know and you know they're fine so whatever it is yeah so that used to be a difficult part but for now i think i think that's yeah life is good <laughs> like <laughs> mostly good i think on the baseline i'm a happy person just on the baseline like you know it's not yeah that's amazing and my final question if there's if there's one thing you want someone who had who watches this interview to this point to take out of your story or just watching this what would that thing be um it would be that life is not always linear and that you know you don't have to like say you don't have to see what five years is going to look like today because honestly where when five years ago i didn't think that my life would be where my life is now mm. right um so life is not linear and progress is not linear as well you know there'll be mm. ups and downs and then you know you find your way somehow um but i think the, the, that you know just taking that away and just knowing that in your lowest right it's time for you to just be self-reflective and try to find direction again and you'll find it that's amazing progress as well is not linear <laughs> i haven't heard that before so that's, that's definitely something that's sticking for me is there anything you wanted me to ask you that i didn't or something no. that i wanted to share that you're like no no, I, get no I, don't, I think i think we're good amazing okay so we're ending with uh life is not linear and career isn't and progress definitely mm. isn't as well isn't there'll be ups and downs and you know but you get to self-reflect yeah. and figure it out and figure it out just uh, you know keep 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 focused keep focused <laughs> and be present and yeah. travel goals 18 countries in eight months right on your bush on board <laughs> amazing thank you more for having this conversation with me it's been a pleasure to get to know you a bit more yeah thank you amazing.
Hey, thank you so much for listening to this podcast to the end. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I hope that you have been inspired or motivated to get better in your careers, in your businesses, in your life. I hope this, you enjoyed it. If you did, please make sure you subscribe to the videos on my YouTube channel at PCTME or just search for Founders Connect and you find the playlist and then subscribe to the channel. Also, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you are listening to it. Leave a rating also so more people can find it and also talk about the episode that you listen to. Hashtag Founders Connect across social media. Hey, I'll see you in the next episode. Peace out.